Good morning, church. I'd invite you to uh, go ahead and open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 3. That's where we are. And um, whether you're new with us or not, I just want to draw your attention to our communication card. This is something that we use as um, a prayer team, as a staff. We love to hear from people. So if you have prayer requests you'd like to uh, let us know about uh, an upcoming hospital thing going on, whatever, we'd love to hear from you uh, via this card. So, And if you're new with us, please fill it out and uh, just kind of let us know who you are. And we'd love to better get to know you and, and how to serve you. Ephesians 3 is where we're at this morning. And um, some of you feel a little lost without a handout, but uh, there's no handout. And... Um, and no bulletin. We decided to go, uh, you know, tree-friendly this morning with rotating slides. So, uh, anyway. Um, how many of you, not by raise of hands, but just by thinking on this, uh, how many of you have ever wondered what to pray for for someone? You know, we were in relationship. Maybe it's for yourself, and you thought, I don't even know how to pray right now. Um, if you've prayed for any length of time, no matter what your spiritual background is, even if this is your first Sunday in a Christian church and you're saying, uh, you know, I don't know much about anything in terms of what Christians would say about this, but, but if you've been alive for very long, chances are you've, you've cried out in prayer, and if you've prayed for any length of time, you've, you've hit some ceilings in your, in your prayer life. Um, it's sometimes really difficult to know, isn't it, what to pray for, and and when you're praying for someone else, there's times when you're lifting someone else and uh, up in prayer, and you just start to slow down, and you, you go, gosh, I don't really know even where to go from here. And I prayed for them last week, and two days ago, and yesterday, and here I am at it again, and I'm all out of words, but I still want to pray for them. It's still in my heart to, to lift them up. Um, I want to encourage you this morning that you're in good company, uh, the disciples, think about this, there's nowhere really recorded in scripture where the disciples are asking Jesus, hey, could you show us how to do that water into wine trick? Um, they, they don't necessarily ask him to do, uh, you know, these different tricks like, hey, you just came through a wall. I want to know how to supernaturally do that. Uh, but, Je- but Jesus was asked by his disciples, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? There was obviously something in the Son of God, uh, we would hope to see this, right, in his prayer life, that, that drew men to him and just said, man, we want to, we want to pray like that. And, uh, the encouragement of this passage this morning is this, that on the one hand, you're going to hear from some scripture where Paul is praying for, uh, his friends in the local church. And we're going to, we're going to get to receive that same kind of blessing being prayed over us. And yet also in a way, this instructs us in how to pray and what to pray for. And so we'll kind of see that as we as we dive into this. Just by way of review, uh, if you've missed a week or two, um, Paul has been on uh, about a, I don't know, 10 or so verse parentheses. Okay? He starts into, I bow my knees, and then he starts talking off on this other subject for a while and talking about the mystery of the gospel and how the Gentiles are in and all of that. So again, that's encouragement for those of you who are ADD and struggle with staying on task. Paul was greatly used by God, and he does this. So we're now closed parentheses, and we're back picking up from verse 1 this this prayer that he has. Um, This chapter, uh, chapter 3 of Ephesians, um, really deals with these two issues. I'm going to make a statement, and you just see if this is true or not from your experience. 
The mysteries of life tend to baffle us, and the mastery of life eludes us. The mysteries of life baffle us, and the mastery of life, how to really do this thing well, eludes us. And what's interesting is we've looked for a couple of weeks now at the mystery. He keeps talking about this mystery, uh, this secret plan of God, and God giving kind of an overview of here's what's really going on. And we're encouraged all kinds of places in Scripture not to regard one another in the flesh, not to regard one another just based on what we can see. There's a whole supernatural realm to what's happening. So Paul's already touched on the mysteries of life, and now he's really, in this passage, he's going to talk about the mastery of life. And um, I don't know if this one passage, I think it's simplistic to say this one passage sheds the key to unlock the mystery of how to master life, but it's a pretty potent uh, passage of Scripture. Just before we read it, I just want to share a story. I, I just was chatting with a friend before service, and uh, we were talking about the book of Ephesians. And she was telling me, she said, I've been reading this book for 30 years. And here she has, her Bible has two languages next to it. So catch this, 30 years and two different languages. And she's telling me how she's still just barely feeling like she's learning it. She's barely getting the meaning of it. So let me encourage you if this, if this happens, if this morning in you know, 40 minutes or so, 45 minutes or so, uh, you walk away maybe even more confused than when you walked in, uh, you might be okay. If you've been at this for 30 years, uh, you know, and uh, anyway, and I'm incorrect in some things, please come and talk to me because you've probably been at it longer than I have. But the point is this. This is a really rich passage of Scripture. And rich is code in this way for confusing, okay? It means that there are layers and layers to this. Here's my challenge to you. Keep reading in this. Keep soaking in this. This will become like food for your soul. And this is one of those passages you will return to often, and you'll just soak in it, and it will mean things, uh, deeper things, as you go on in life. Um, In honor of God's Word this morning, this is something that uh, goes on in the Old Testament once in a while. We don't want to make a ritual of it, um, but I really love the, uh, the physical engagement of it. Would you stand in honor of God's Word as we read it, recognizing... Uh, that this is um, the words of the Almighty to his, to his people. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, here he is picking up the prayer, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Let me tell you something comforting as a... um, as one part of the body of Christ, I happen to be a preacher in the body of Christ. And uh, it's comforting for me to note that what we just did, the public reading of Scripture in the assembly, um, probably has more power than anything that's going to follow right now. Not probably, that's a really arrogant statement. Does have 
far more power than anything that's going to, to, to come after this. And so I can actually rest easy in saying that our congregation this morning was, was well fed, just, just from reading in that. What I want to do this morning is this, uh, depending on how you break this up, this is Paul, a pastor of a, of a, uh, a, a region of churches. This probably isn't to one local church, but, but more like uh, San Jose. It's a, it's a region of some local churches. But here's Paul praying some different things. Depending on how you break it up, you could say that it's, it's three different things. You could say it's six different things. But he has some kind of prayer requests for his church, and he's praying them for them. Um, what I'm not going to dive into is, is this one of these main points, and that is this. There is instruction for you in how to pray for your church this morning by watching Paul. Isn't it true that when you pray with certain people, you realize, wow, I'm learning prayer right now? Uh, I'm actually learning how to pray by praying with this person. Uh, some of our prayer lives may have started very kind of hocus-pocus and very kind of simplistic, maybe because that's what we were around and that's what it was. And it seemed very um, just kind of ritualistic to just thank God for some food and amen. And we do that twice a day and you know, now I lay me down to sleep and there's kind of a little prayer. Uh, in Australia, I think they have us topped uh, really the most simplistic prayer of all. Um, there was one that was... Uh, you know, uh, and this was very culturally different uh, coming from where my traditions and where I had been. But I was on a mission trip. I was learning a new culture, and we were working with a new team of the body of Christ. And so I, um, I prayed that God would help me withhold judgment. But one time we get up in front of the whole camp, and, uh, and one of the counselors is going to lead in prayer. And, um, you know, he kind of bowed his head. He said, God's neat. Let's eat. You know, and I, I kind of was like, wow. I mean, efficient. Uh, you know, to the point, uh, maybe a little flippant for my, uh, you know, background, but I guess it got the point done. Um, but later in the week, uh, those crazy Aussies uh, started doing the Superman prayer. And I don't remember what this was, but the, the leader is being Superman. And anyway, it was an interesting idea. And when you go on missions trips, um, you learn new and wonderful things. Um, my point being this, there, there might be more. There might be more than the Superman prayer or God's neat, let's eat kinds of prayers. Uh, and, and in this passage, we actually get to, get to kind of get a little window into to someone who I would say probably had a pretty marvelous prayer life and that, and that we could probably learn from. Let me ask you this question. As I bring up some different kinds of people, I want you to get someone uh, specific in your mind just to kind of uh, make this a little bit more applicable for you. Uh, but let me ask you what, what the following people have in common. Okay, so I'm going to rattle off some kind of uh, very stereotypes of people, and you get someone in your mind. A jock, okay, a sports enthusiast jock kind of a guy. An intellectual. In high school, this was the brainiac, or on the negative side, the nerd. A slacker. Uh, a goody two-shoes. This might be uh, a moralist, a holier-than-thou uh, person, someone always looking down their nose at other people. Uh, the stoner. Now, once again, I'm going back to my high school days in 1989. That's what you called them. But this was the person that uh, sought um, illicit objects going into their body to have a good time. Um, and then finally, the family guy, and not the one from TV, but uh, the person who's uh, you know, the family guy or gal who uh, is just kind of the quintessential, wow, that's, that's the family, family person. So hopefully you have some people uh, in your mind. Maybe you fit into one of those in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but 
without answering out loud, just think about that. What, what is it that all those have in common? Well, there's probably a lot of things that they have in common. But the thing I want to draw out this morning is this. Every one of the people I just mentioned long for power to live like they want to live. Think about each of those categories of person. There are certain kinds of um, stereotypical uh, you know, objectives in that person's life that you could kind of paint and probably be fairly accurate. That's why they've been stereotyped, just because there's some similarities there. I would think that every single person I just mentioned longs for power to live like they want to live. And they also share this in common. Every single one of those people I just mentioned lacks the power to really live in the way that they would want to live. Let's take the slacker, okay? The slacker, what are, just call it out. What are some things that the slacker wants to live by? What are some of his high ideals and values? Would you guess? I know no one in here is a slacker. I'm, I'm projecting. These are, these are people out there. Um, so just by, by sheer, you know, uh, projection, what, what, what would a slacker value and want to live? Go ahead, let's hear it. Doing as little as possible. Yes. What else? No expectations. No expectations. Yeah. Video games. games. (laughs) Phil. Personal convenience. Personal convenience. Yeah. Convenience would probably be a high value. Okay. So you get the picture. We could do this for each of these, right? Now what happens is there's something that comes along. Uh, Let's take video games. Let's say that that's a high value for a slacker. Okay. Uh, Let's say that the power goes out, right? (laughs) There's literally, he doesn't have the power to, to live like he wants to live. But that's going to suddenly butt up against his, his, his issues. Let's say that the slacker has a roommate that doesn't quite see eye to eye on all of the slacker's personal convenience desires. And he doesn't have the power to change that other person. Do you see how at every turn, really, there are limits to the power that this person has to live life the way that they want to live? Now, here's what's fascinating. Every single person you probably ever come in contact with is uh, in some way, shape, or form longing for power to live the way that they want to live. Um, This is a book that I would not recommend getting, um, but this is a book called The Masterful Book of Spiritual Power. And um, what's frightening about this is is this. I can read this cover, and you can't because it's a little small. I did that on purpose, actually. Um, but I can read this, this cover and have the discernment and life experience to say, that's a scam right there. That's not true. What's fascinating is in the upper part of it, it talks about secrets that are thousands years, years old, that are forbidden knowledge, that Moses, Jesus, and the apostles used these formulas in this book. Now, I read that and say, wow, that's trying to draw in one whole segment. We have you know, some, some sort of half, uh, I don't know, Angel, half goat, you know, high-fiving each other on the book. There are some very questionable symbols on the book. Um, it talks about your riches right now, getting this. Now, now here's what's interesting. We, I can flash up a book like this, and probably most in this room, and many of our neighbors and coworkers would look at this and say, scam, immediately, laughable. But um, I don't know if you've ever been sick and not been at work for a day. But daytime television, and I venture to guess nighttime television, is still filled with channels that are communicating really roughly the same idea, aren't they? Whether it's diet, a new product, 
um, a new secret on how to make $8,000 a day playing video games. I mean, whatever, there are these things. And if they, don't, if they don't latch into your little niche, you can laugh it off and go, that's silly. But that person's still in business a year later. That means people are buying what he's selling. I just went up to Macworld on Friday with one of our college students, and we were cruising around. And uh, this one guy, you walk up to a booth at Macworld, and what they're trying to do is they're trying to engage you, right, and, and, and sell you on something. So I have a name badge. It says my name, and then it says that I'm a pastor at Neighborhood Bible Church. And so uh, that's kind of fun to watch people try to sell to a pastor because they don't really know where to go with some, with some of these things. But my favorite one by far, now I was there not to buy anything really, but just to kind of be there and see things going on. This one guy was great because I love to walk up to him and, and engage with some of these guys. This one guy that, that, uh, that Andrew and I walked up to, um, I said... Uh, he started, he started, he just dialed right in, he started talking to me, and here's what's fascinating, he, he immediately, from what, I was wearing a zip-up billabong sweatshirt, okay, now from that, somehow, here's where he went, he goes, this, I didn't know what his product was, but he was entertaining, so he's talking away, and he goes, now let's say that you're snowboarding, and da 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 and I thought, wow, that's kind of interesting. There's something about them. You know, for some reason, he went the snowboarding route. Well, I happen to snowboard and like snowboarding. So then he's talking away, and he goes, or let's say that you're cycling, and da-da-da-da. And I was, like, starting to get weirded out, going, that's weird. Like, he, you know, he picked that over Parcheesi, you know, which I'm not that into. I just don't really like that game very much at all. Um, and so he's talking away, and, uh, and then he stops. And I, I said, is that all you have? Like, it only in 30 seconds. And he goes, well, I can keep going. I said, well, we're still standing here. I said, you know, so, so what? It, and so then he goes like this. He has stickers. And this is his best line he comes up with. He goes, he goes, drink the Kool-Aid. And he just hands me the sticker. Meaning like, you know, I think engage with the company and you'll never go back or something. And so I just kind of laughed at it. I thought, that is classic. And so I, I offered Kool-Aid to Andrew. I said, do you want some Kool-Aid? He goes, not so much, you know. Uh, everyone there is selling you a little pitch, Right. Now, if you're walking through an expo showroom floor, you're braced for it. You understand that. And you realize they're trying to give you their little pitch. But, but all through life, I mean, just watch for it this week. Watch how many people are trying to sell you power to overcome what you lack in yourself to overcome. I mean, just, just go look for it. It's, it's everywhere. And these people are in business, which means people are buying this up. I'm fascinated by, number one... Um, sellers on on the book list and just seeing what is it that people take their hard-earned money in a difficult economy and go plop it down on and there are always people who want these kinds of things going on now life is really really complex and i don't want to be simplistic here because i think that insults your intelligence and i think that that uh um furthers a stereotype that church can be over simplistic when life really isn't that simplistic But I want you to listen to what Paul prays for his friends. I want you to listen for it through the text. And like us, the people that he's praying for, think about about this. It's not just one local congregation. I mean, how much varied trials and successes have there been this week in this room? A lot, right? If we were to plot it, it'd be all over the map. Now take just uh, some some sister churches here in the area. Take ten of them. How, How varied would that be? It'd be huge. And yet the things Paul prays for his friends in this passage, I mean, I would say it zeroes in and, and it gets to the very heart of what their needs are. It gets to the very heart of what the real issues are. It gets to the very heart of you say, wow, if these three prayers were answered in my life, all this nonsense that I pray about would, would take care of itself. 
all this other peripheral stuff that I, that I stress about and think about and buy books about and, and, and want to learn about, to overcome about, would, would start to, to dissipate. So let me show you these things. I've taken the passage. I've, I'm, I'm going to just give you three. Um, again, we could break this up in some different ways. Um, but Paul prays for the church like this. He prays three things, and we'll just walk through them one, one at a time. One is strength in your inner being. Strength in your inner being. Number two is that Christ would be indwelling. Strength in your inner being, that Christ would be indwelling, and to know the love of Christ. Now, on one level, you could look at this and say, wow, this is Christianity 101. What could there possibly be in here for me? Well, let's, let's look at this and, um, and, and see what's going on. Well, number one is strength in your inner being. Look at verse 16. Be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. We've already talked at length here about the idea that most everyone you meet wants strength and power to live like they want to live. And they all get frustrated because they lack on on some level uh, that happening. The apparently strong people in this world, the apparently strong nations, let's let's go nations because that's a little bit more removed, okay? There are some strong nations in this world. We're one of them. We exert power in a certain way, right? Right? Now, there are some inherently weak nations in this world that perceive that a certain way. A lot of people in a weak nation would long to be in a powerful nation. In fact, I would venture to guess most everyone who lacks apparent fleshly strength longs to be in that person's position. However, some of you have been to other countries. Some of you have been to China. Ron just got back from being in China for a long time. Every single time, without fail, that I go to Mexico, I perceive things in Mexico, a seemingly weaker nation than the U.S. in almost every regard, as possessing some things and having access to some things that I find people in America really, really struggle with. Isn't it true that our money, our our leaning on material things, our busyness and pace of life can actually rob us of the most important things? Most all of us go to funerals and weddings. We've been there for the birth of people. We have little windows where we go, what what is all this other stuff? This is what's really important. Man, what do I want said when I die? What do I want to be remembered for? Man, that's what's really important. It could be on the way home, though, from a funeral, from a big eye-opener, that a billboard catches your eye and you're distracted from what's real and it's one more night of whatever, entertaining yourself with video games or, uh, or, or dealing with things that aren't real. It's a struggle. The weak um, apparently exert their power in a different way. Now, think in a family, for instance. There are often stronger personalities and weaker personalities, but you have brothers and sisters too. You have aunts and uncles and parents and, uh, and cousins. And here's what happens is sometimes you have people who are really strong and bully-like in their personality. And they're just bulls in China shop, and they just they shout and scream, or they throw things, or whatever. But they exert their way. That's one kind of power, isn't it? There's others of you who maybe are in this room, and you're the person that fills this role in the family. You don't ever. You would never be the one shouting and all of that. But there's a subversive way that you exert your power, and you go, "Man, I'm not. I'm not quick-witted enough. I'm not uh, enraged enough. I'm not." Uh, courageous enough or whatever to act that way but i'm going to i'm going to exert my power in this other way but don't you see those are really kind of two sides of the same coin 
What those are is whether perceived strong or perceived weak, you're, you're exerting your power and you're trying to kind of get what's yours and you're trying to, to kind of get there. And both sides are frustrated. America as a strong nation is frustrated. Other countries that have nothing are frustrated. Some would say, this is a hot idea right now, that the way out of this is equal distribution of everything. That is such a lie. That is such a lie. Now, I don't think that means we turn a blind eye. It's fashionable right now to be uh, world-minded and giving to those who are in need and um, helping trees live longer. And all kinds of things are fashionable. But the answers don't lie there. And actually, we looked last week a little bit at some of, uh, at, at, at some of, the, uh, of where the answers lies, lie. Paul delivers a completely different message than trying to live life on your own power. Here it is. Ready? It's according to the riches of His glory. It's through His Spirit that we're to be strengthened. It's according to the power, His power, that is at work within us. And this was a hallmark of Paul's preaching. This was a hallmark of Paul's living. Is that he would constantly say, wait a minute, this is not me. It's the power that's mightily at work within me doing this. Remember when people came to fall down at his feet and worship him? He was doing something that was causing people to fall down at his feet and worship with him or worship him. And what did he do? Time out. I mean, I've got this image like he grabs him by the scruff saying, stand up. It's not me. It's the power that's at work within me. He preached a completely different message. Look at this word strengthened. ESV has it translated strengthened in verse 16. Strengthened is this idea of might to overcome resistance. Might to overcome resistance. The resistance might come in your roommate who doesn't, you know, fall in line with your idea of personal convenience. The resistance might come from all kinds of different angles. Um, But this strengthened is might to overcome resistance. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 1 for a moment and look at verse 19. This is the same root word that we see in verse 19, uh, the working of his great might. Let me read it to you to provide you a little picture of what this word means. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Might or strength to overcome resistance. 20. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. In the heavenly place. What that ought to do is blow your mind. That the same strength, the same might to overcome resistance that Jesus had accessible to him, that rose him from the dead, is at work in you and I. Man, that ought to shrink your problems and enlarge your view of God. It ought to just bring worship to your mind and heart and lips as you chew on that fact. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be here in a few weeks. Ephesians 6.20. Talking about the whole armor of God. And Paul kind of sums it up this way. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Power to overcome resistance. Here's my question for you. Where's, Where's the resistance coming from in your life right now? Where is it that you're bumping up against a wall, and some of us are bullheaded enough, we just keep pounding our head into that wall. Where's the resistance coming from? 
I want to read you the, uh, a letter. This isn't a person I knew, but a person who ran some conferences um, shared a letter. And, and what struck me about this, this part of the dialogue um, is I thought, man, here's a person who knows what it means to be strengthened with might in the inner man. This is a person who's figured this out. He says this. My past, however, does not reflect the pain from boyhood so much as from a broken marriage. He talked about his boyhood troubles and all the issues there, but he's saying really the the, the bigger hurt was a broken marriage. It has not been easy to have um, had a close friend marry the woman who had been my wife for 17 years. To have her live in the same community, work in the same school district, and see the, the children exposed to two distinctly different philosophies of living is not easy. I don't always like the opportunities that are mine to witness to the healing and forgiving love Christ makes available to me. The love that is for my brokenness, however, when I let it, does heal. Yes, and even my ego is in constant need of healing. This is a person who's met severe resistance, and it hasn't just moved away to another city. And for whatever reason, he hasn't moved away to another city. And so he's constantly reminded of it and constantly in need of this ongoing love, this ongoing strength in the inner man. Isn't it true that Christ's power works from the inside out? Jesus never starts with the outside and says, hey, clean up your life, get your act together so that God can work in you. That's the basic tenet of religion. And don't be fooled in thinking, well, I'm sure glad I don't think that way. Man, there are so many times we're tempted or we engage in buffing out the outside of the cup. That's just an allusion to what Jesus is talking about one time. He says, man, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside's just filthy. That's so foolish. That's ludicrous to do it that way. God's love works from the inner being, strengthen the inner being that then begins to show on the outside. And to do it outward shows that it's not God at work, it's the flesh at work. Not only does his his power work from the inside out, but kind of underneath the ground. Think about a seed. We have a garden out here. And there's all kinds of stuff going crazy in our garden. And uh, we're trying as fast as we can to, to give it away to people in our community. But what's so cool is we have pictures of just a very, very boring box of dirt. Underneath the dirt are some seeds. And that's just such a great little picture of the way the power of God works. You're praying for something. You're praying for change in a person's life. You're praying for change in your own life. And that's a seed underneath the ground. And if it's God at work, what's happening is there is not something that's going to be temporal, that's going to go away, be flash in the pan, but something that's going to be eternal and last for for all of time. And God's going to grow it not you. And that's really powerful. Just listen to 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 16, says this, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Amen? Yeah. Some of you are like, yes. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed. How often? You know it. Day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things 
that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul's first prayer is, would you, would you, Lord, strengthen this person in the inner man, in the inner being, so that what is produced isn't fleshly, but eternal. I'd invite you just to close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment, and I just want to pray um, over this point. God, many in this room are facing resistance in all shapes and maybe from all sides. I ask God that you would strengthen this body of people by your Spirit and that they would not lose heart. Jesus, grant your grace and peace through your Spirit that they might be strengthened in the innermost part of who they are. Be strong in them. You've already destroyed the real enemies of death, sin, and the demands that law imposes. God, your storehouses of riches and grace are inexhaustible. And we rely on that this morning. Amen. The second thing Paul prays is this, that Christ would be indwelling. Look at verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that kind of introduces now a purpose clause for this other thing that was prayed for. A strengthening in your inner being so that Christ would dwell in your hearts. Now, why would Paul pray that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith? Doesn't that seem like an odd prayer? Paul just spent chapters 1 and 2 saying the following. He's assured all believers that they are now in Christ, that they have every spiritual blessing in Christ, that they are seated with Him in heavenly places, and that they are created in Christ for good works. So doesn't it seem like an odd thing for Paul now to be praying to believers? Remember, Ephesians is written to believers. It's not written to, to win the lost. It's written to churches who already believe. So wouldn't it, isn't it seem odd that he's now... Uh, praying that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. Seems like that's a present reality. Uh, I'm not sure what your translation uh, translates this word, but look at verse 17. In the ESV it says, dwell. That Christ may dwell in your hearts. And that kind of holds the key to share what it is Paul's talking about. The word dwell in verse 17 is a compound word in the Greek that has the word uh, one word that means down, and one word that means to inhabit a house. And in this context, what it's talking about is settling down into a house. He's not praying that Christ would come into your heart to save you. That's already happened. It's a past reality. It's a present reality. Instead, he's saying, now, I pray that Christ would dwell in your hearts to sanctify you. When Christ comes and dwells in a person's heart to save them, to justify them, what it is is this. It's people who've been off in the far country wandering from God. And He awakens in them a hunger, a desire for Him. He actually gives them new life. They were dead and now they're alive. And what happens is you start your journey home. And like the prodigal son, you wake up one day in pig slop. It could be really sophisticated pig slop, but it's pig slop nonetheless. 
And all of a sudden you have eyes to see and, and Jesus is drawing you home. And you go, man, I wouldn't have taken this journey on any other way except for the fact that, that Jesus is drawing me home. He's already saved you. You're already in the family. But here's what's amazing about sanctification is that on the way, Christ is forming his very self in you. That's what sanctification is all about. It's not that on the way you're trying harder and harder to be like Christ and look like Christ. That's where the the strength comes from the inner self through the spirit, right? But on the way you're being sanctified. As you draw closer and closer to Christ, you're starting to realize, wow, I'm more and more like Christ as he forms his very image in me. It's a powerful picture No longer is Christ a tolerated visitor, but he's at home in your heart. One of the things I used to do with with students at Hume Lake, um, Chris Shelley used to love to do this. Once in a while, Chris uh, Shelley and I would co-counsel in a a cabin of middle school boys. That smelled good all week long, I'll tell you that. (laughs) Um, But we used to bring this little book by Robert Munger up. And we would take one of our nightly devotions. We had about six of them, I guess. And we would take one of them and we'd just read this book straight through. And we usually did it after decision night where, where kids were really challenged to, to make a profession of faith and give their lives over to the Lord. Man, one of my favorite, favorite nights of the week, to be sure. And this book was called My Heart, Christ's Home. Maybe some of you have heard of this book before. Robert Munger, My Heart, my, my heart Christ's Home. Now in this book, he kind, of, he kind of makes your heart like a house. And each of the different uh, rooms kind of represents different parts of your life. And he kind of gives this picture like Jesus gets invited in to be in the home of your heart now. And he walks into different rooms. He walks into the library and, and all of a sudden things that never bothered you before in your library, uh, you kind of feel flushed in your face and you realize, wow, uh, br- bringing Jesus in here all of a sudden... What's re- sitting around in my library feels a little bit shameful. And you realize, wow, there's a lot of trash in my library. And Jesus comes and starts to help clear out the garbage that you've just been soaking your mind in. Um, this is a dated book. Maybe it shouldn't be library. Maybe it should be your library online uh, or on, on your hard drive or you know, your, your media center, uh, otherwise known as your TV, whatever. But he takes the worthless things and he replaces it with the word of God. He moves into the dining room and discovers appetites of the world, food, lust, prestige, uh, all kinds of different things. And instead, he replaces that with a hunger for the things of God, purity and virtue, patience. And he starts to, to actually change the things that you long for and have appetites for. He talks about the living room and the, the worldly companions that you used to have. And he begins to change that. He goes to the workshop and he redirects what you've been working for, what you've been building and investing your life in. And then there's one part of it where he goes to the closet. You kind of think the, the whole house is good and Jesus is at home there. And, and you're hoping Jesus doesn't know about the closet. And, and it's the Lord that... that that gently nudges uh, in this story toward the closet. And of course the closet are the secret things that no one else knows about. They've just been tucked away in your heart and, uh, and you thought that they could kind of reside there. But, but the, the whole point is that Jesus really isn't comfortable until he's Lord really over the whole house. And it's just a brilliant little book that, that, um, that gives us a neat picture. Christ moves into our hearts in an instant forever making his presence there because he's made us alive. 
but then he moves about our heart for a lifetime. Did you catch that? It's a, it's a momentary thing. In an instant, he moves into our heart if it were a home. But for a lifetime, then, he moves about the house and makes, uh, is more and more at home as we submit to his lordship in all areas of our heart's home. Haven't you tried to clean house before on your own? Haven't you walked into your library and thought, man, there's just trash here? And you couldn't bring yourself to clean house the way that Jesus can come and clean house? I know you've been to your kitchen before and longed for your appetites not to be what's stocked in the kitchen, so to speak, of your heart. And some of you could give such powerful testimony of how God has taken whole appetites and just replaced them with amazingly godly things. Often we have a few rooms that we're pretty proud of. There are prize rooms where we feel like we're doing a pretty good job. But most everyone tends to struggle with closets and just says, man, there's, there's one little niche, God. Just give me, uh, when we moved into our house, it was pretty cool. <laughs> I wasn't cool. It was just kind of funny. Uh, we walked into this one little, we use it as a pantry, but it was kind of like uh, a workbench. And we think it was an older couple that lived there. And um, I'm kind of cleaning it out and stuff. And here's a, little, here's a little bottle tucked up here of who knows what. You know, it was empty. Uh, but I just imagined, it was like Grandpa's little, you know, sanity sauce or something. But, but I, I laughed. I thought, you know, I wonder, if, I wonder if his wife knew about this. You know, this is, I'm going to go work in the work shed again, you know. Um, but it was just a little hidden, a little hidden thing for, for Grandpa out there in the work shed, I guess. But that's kind of how we are, too. In our, in our hearts, we say, Lord, you can have it all, but there's a security here that I can't let go of. And it's a common experience. We've, we've, we've wrestled with that. Now, I know that our house, uh, our heart really isn't a house, but it, it's, a, it's a fitting biblical metaphor. Listen to this, Jesus talking, John 14. If anyone loves me, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Wow. The Father and the Son... And elsewhere, we could draw in the Spirit. The triune God revealed in Scriptures are going to come and make their home in us. We talked about this last week a little bit. Where's the temple of God now? It's wherever you go as a Christian. Wherever you go as a Christian, you're bringing the presence of God. You're bringing this place. In the Old Testament, think about what the temple was. It was where the supernatural and the physical met. It was a place of worship and wonder, and mystery, and awe. And now, because of the Spirit of Christ, because Christ has completed His work and gone away, and He says, it's better for us that I go away because I'm going to send my Spirit, the triune God dwells in us, and we are now the temple of the living God. Powerful. Aren't you glad for a gracious, patient Father that moves about the house of your heart? I mean, think about it. As Jesus moves from room to room in your heart and the process of sanctification is going on, isn't He so merciful? I mean, there are times that you fight Him on it. He's cleaned out one area of your life and you've glorified Him for it. You've been freed from it. You thank Him. You say, I'll never doubt you again. And then He moves to the very next room and you're fighting for control. Oh, we have a merciful God. 
He's so patient as he comes in. He's, he doesn't force his way in. He involves us in it. Even when we grab for control, even when we question his trustworthiness. I think most of us in this room would say, fine, you want control of your life, take it. And probably never be back. But we have a merciful Father. Paul prays for power in the inner being. Paul prays for the indwelling Christ, which is really Christ being at home in a person's heart. Not the presence of Him, but being at home. And finally, he prays that they would have knowledge of the immeasurable dimensions of Christ's love. I decided to put the word immeasurable and dimensions in the same sentence because we have in this passage this great thing stated that uh, in verse 19 that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? I mean, doesn't that throw you for a little bit of a loop? What, what it makes you realize is this. I started with this. I don't want to be too simplistic in this. I don't want to just say that, 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 that we can in 40 minutes kind of tackle this and have it handled. We're dealing with something that we'll pursue, as my friend said earlier this morning, for 30 years, one book of the Bible, and still be lacking, still needing a filling up. There's a truth that exists in the Bible, and I want you to see it here, and that is this, that authority and love not only coexist, but thrive in the Scriptures. Authority and love not only live side by side, but they thrive together in the Scriptures. Let me read this for you in verse 17. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. We just got done talking about the Lordship of Christ, the process of sanctification, the process of Christ indwelling your heart, being at home in your heart, is the process of Him being Lord. He won't be there as subservient to you being Lord. We're all clear on that, right? So we just talked about Christ being Lord, and now we're talking about the love of Christ, side by side. This is under attack in certain kinds of, uh, I'll use the term, Christian circles. In an effort to help God out with his message, because clearly he was wrong on this one, um, there have been abuses of authority that haven't translated to love. And so there, people are wanting to take those two and say, God never meant for those ever to be anywhere. In fact, many are trying to take authority in general and just say, that belongs outside the realm of God at all. That's all authority is sin. Maybe it was an abusive parent. Maybe it was a bossy boss. Maybe it was a power-hungry minister, which is a wrong statement on so many levels. A minister is a servant, a waiter. A power-hungry waiter? It doesn't make any sense. But we, we see abuses of this. And so because there was a, a sinful authority figure, they said, man, the, the, the love of God and authority can't coexist, and yet we see lordship and love right here in this passage. We're to be rooted in love, grounded in love. We're to comprehend love. We're to know love. And this happens more and more as we submit to the Spirit's power working in us. I mean, here's, here's how it looks. If you go into one of these rooms, you go into the family room, and Jesus is whispering to you things that you never heard before and you never felt guilty about. But now that he's there in your presence, you say, wow, I see that, but I still like to do that on Fridays. I still like to entertain in this way. Jesus, are you sure? 
He makes himself crystal clear in his word and through the church and through people you ask. And you, you realize, yeah, he's sure. You now have a choice, don't you? Stay in control of the family room or yield control to the Lord. And there are many people who say they're Christians, say Christianity doesn't work for me. I've tried the love of God. The love of God isn't all that. I would venture to guess for some people, the problem has been they have stayed on the throne. They've, they've been in control of their life still. They, they've, they've tried to accept the free grace, but they haven't submitted to the lordship of Christ. And so they don't know love of God from an internal deep way. Now, how can I measure love? Let me make this more personal. How do you measure love? Now, if I were to ask that and have you give actual responses this morning in this room, it would vary depending on who I asked. If I asked a child that, they'd give me one answer. A junior higher would give me something else. A college student, a 35-year-old, a person celebrating their 40th wedding anniversary would give me, hopefully, a different answer than the junior higher. They just would, right? Not hopefully. They would. How do you measure love? Let me give you a little snapshot of this. Can someone get John G., by the way, for me? Could someone jump uh, up and go get him? Thanks, Chris. Um, let's say that uh, I'm, I'm fascinated with my favorite artist, and they, uh, they win a, a Grammy Award, and in their speech they say this, I love all my fans. And I'm sitting at home on my TV, and I go, oh, wait a minute. I'm a fan, therefore this person loves me. I mean, I just heard testimony from his mouth that, 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 he, that he loves me. Wow, that's, that's really powerful. And so then the next time this person comes, you know, and does a concert in my hometown, I go and I go to the autograph signing and I'm just, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get an autograph. And so this person signs it and he goes, I love you, man. You know, and he goes, what's your name? You know, he asks for it. Well, now I have it in writing. Like this famous person loves me. And I, I have it in verbal form. I recorded it. And I've got it in writing now with my name next to it. But hopefully, now some people, you see some people doing this and you wonder when they're going to grow out of this. But at some point you kind of start to grow out of that and say, man, this hasn't really altered my life. This is kind of impersonal love. I sacrifice for this person, but there's no sacrifice back at all. Some people describe the love of God in those exact terms. You know what? The love is impersonal. It hasn't changed my life at all. And, and there's, there's, there's nothing there. Um, let me give you kind of a, a different picture. John G., would you come up here just for one second? John has no idea why he's coming forward, and that's my favorite kind of person. But John's a really good sport. Um, let, me just, let me just say this. So on the one hand, you have a Grammy Award winner saying that I love, I, I, I love you to people. Now, this is John Giordano. What's that? Song? You want me to sing? Yeah, okay. he's going to sing a little song. Actually, it's a rap. The one I had in mind was a rapper. Um, now, I don't know if I've ever heard John say these exact words, but let me tell you something. John Giordano loves Neighborhood Bible Church. John Giordano loves Neighborhood Bible Church. Now, here's how I know. And this embarrasses John, and so this is why I don't do it too often, because I want to keep him as a friend. But here's the way that I know John Giordano loves Neighborhood Bible Church. We had three concrete pours this last week, and we have a gajillion junior hires next door. Do you know what wet cement and junior hires equals? <laughs> yes, long-lasting graffiti. So there was a plan that was worked out to try to figure out how are we going to meet the city's requirements and da, 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 all this stuff. You know who didn't have to think about it? Me. 
I didn't think about it at all. You know why? John's a servant. He comes, he says, man, let me handle this for you. Let me do my function in the body of Christ so you can do your function in the body of Christ. Now, I show up for a school function Wednesday night. I come out, there's a footprint in our wet sand. Our brand new pour, there's a footprint. We don't want the footprint there for all of time. I got on the phone with John, and I felt bad doing it, but I got on the phone with John because I know he wears this even to bed. And I said, <laughs> and I said, John, I said, um, dude, there's a footprint in our wet sand, and is there in our wet concrete? Is there anything we can do? John said, this, I'll be right over. And I came that night, later on that night or early next morning, and it was gone. He had worked his magic and scraped and done whatever he does to do that. John loves Neighborhood Bible Church. Here's how I know. He sacrifices for Neighborhood Bible Church. Now, we don't do this often, and this opens a huge can of worms, but just to communicate what John represents in the body of Christ, can you just show your love and appreciation for John? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, buddy, yeah. Now, let me... Let me just say, there, there, there's so many people like John. Honestly, weekly, we could just do that. And, um, and you're thanked and appreciated. I, I can't really do that to everyone. But I want to drive this point home. It's clear to me John loves the church because he sacrifices for the church. So, so you can say one thing and do another. And, and you always go by, well, there's no sacrifice there. And so, so you know that. Any new mom knows this. Any pregnant mom knows this. Right? person married 40 years understands how to measure love. Now, I want to invite Rob Collins up uh, because he's going to share uh, some words with us. Um, we sing this song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. And um, as, we, as we see uh, what's about to be painted here in, uh, in, the, in the text is these dimensions. Paul doesn't even really finish the idea uh, because I think he kind of runs out of it. But he starts to give dimensions of Christ's love. There's a powerful lyric from a West King song we've done in here before, and it says this. It's the width of two arms outstretched on a tree, the length of the road to Calvary, the height of the crown on a cruel cross, the depth of the pain His love cost. All for you, all for me, all for love did He bleed, all to set us free. That's... A snapshot. That's a beginning taste of what the dimensions of Christ's love are. I've asked Rob to share uh, in this section in particular, um, but I want to I draw your attention very quickly to, to four quick words. Uh, it says, with all the saints. To, to know with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth. We could kind of skip over that quickly, but here's why I'm wanting to draw attention before Rob shares is this. We need to understand the love of Christ in community. Not just ourselves, but in community. Because as, as, you, as you think about the whole community, you begin to see the non-limits of Christ's love. How do we know how wide the love of Christ is if not for those who've been drawn in from the farthest of the far country? And they come back bringing reports of it. How do we know the length of it if not for the faithfulness that someone gives testimony that lasts a lifetime? Praise God we have saints in our church who've walked with Christ longer than many of us have been 
alive. And they testify to the length of Christ's love. And the height and depth, if not for the ones who've walked both and tasted and seen that even in the heights, even in the depth, Christ's love is there and is good. I want you to hear from Rob. Rob sings with us, uh, for us, and joins with us and leads us every single week. Um, but we don't always get to, to know a little bit more of Rob's story. And so um, just listen in as Rob uh, shares. Well, um, as Dave said, I've uh, been going here five or six years since we opened. I, haven't, um, I don't think I've ever shared this uh, in a church uh, setting I know that some of you I've, I've been to a community group with and, and I've shared some of my story um, and I, at a softball game once. But my story, um, I'm just beginning it here I, in this one spot in 1997. Um, I was sitting alone in my apartment. I remember uh, feeling the sheer terror in my heart. Um, a year earlier, my, my first wife had died. When um, two drunk drivers uh, who were racing on Highway 101 South um, plowed into her little Honda CRX, split the car in two, and threw her body uh, from the car. Um, she, she died later at Stanford uh, Hospital. Surprisingly, she didn't have a mark on her when she died. And um, I never um, got to see that. I was, I was told that by her mother. Um, See, my wife and I were divorced, or in the middle of a cooling-off period of our divorce. And um, she was, uh, she had, she, I waited and waited and waited, but I signed the papers, and we were in that six-month cooling-off period when she died. I wouldn't even have to endure the footnote of, uh, of being divorced. Uh, I wasn't even mentioned in her obituary, uh, because um, her mom felt that that's the way Kim would have wanted it. And so that was fairly painful. And she had said some things to me before she died. She said, um, well, one of the, the, actually the last thing she said to me was, you'll never be worth anything, um, which, you know, I actually believed that. So, you know, it was pretty easy for me to grab onto it and, and take it and run with it. Mm-hmm. Now I was experiencing um, severe panic attacks, and I hadn't left my apartment in weeks. This is a year later, uh, 1998. And uh, I'm, I'm developing these symptoms like numbness on my face. And I, I would just uh, think I, I thought I was dying for some previously undiagnosed disease. And, and since I was dying, um, you know, there wasn't much hope. With, with uh, death rapidly approaching, I began to pray. Of course, you know, when you think you're going to die, you pray a really spiritual prayer, right? You know, one of those big, long prayers that... Um, really calls on the angels to come and rescue you. Well, mine was a little bit more simplistic. I asked God to let me go see a baseball game at Pac Bell Park. It was opening up in 2000. Uh, before I developed all these symptoms and had convinced myself I was going to die, that was just one thing I wanted to do. I wanted to go to the Giants game, so uh, that was my prayer. I mean, it felt like a, that was all I really deserved. Um, I mean, I couldn't imagine I deserved any more than that. I just want to call your attention to this part of the passage and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do more abundantly, uh, excuse me, let me read again, to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and the Christ. 
to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So this whole notion of um, God being able to do immeasurably more than we could think is real, right? Well, I, I could only imagine going to a baseball game. It was very measurable. And I've seen a baseball game at Packbell Park. In fact, I've seen th- about 30 baseball games at Packbell Park. It wasn't until later this pastor sank into me, you know, when you don't believe much about yourself that's positive, um, it's hard to believe that God could love you that much. Being rooted and established in the love uh, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. <clears throat> Sorry, I wrote this out. Well, you know, God could have answered that one prayer, and He did. He, he let me see a baseball game and 30 more since then. But He could have stopped there at my request, but He didn't. Hmm. I had lost a wife before I lost her. And then I lost her in death. God restored me. And he gave me a wonderful wife. My wife's back there in the back now. He could have stopped there. <laughs> but he didn't. He gave me three amazing kids. I don't know if you've met them. Nicholas, David, and Milan, who were all in class. But just phenomenal little kids. They need a lot of discipline. But, uh, <laughs> I'm woefully inadequate at that. But I'm working on He could have stopped there. Mm. I was 80 grand in debt when my wife died. I filed for uh, bankruptcy like a week before I got married to Julie. What was she thinking? <laughs> 80 grand in debt. Well, I don't have that debt anymore. Well, bankruptcy helped that. But he gave me a thriving business, which now... Completely provides for my family. Will help my kids go to college. Nothing that I did earned any of that. Nothing that I have in me could have attained that level of restoration. Only God. So I would say to anyone out there who's struggling from loss, questioning God, don't give up. Find out how deep, long, wide the love of Christ really is. And just when you think you've reached the end, and hope is gone. Remember that he is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Thanks, Rob. I want to invite the band up. And uh, I want you to listen and join in to the words of this song that we're about to sing. Quite simply called, The Love of God. I love spending time with Rob because um, Rob's been deeply moved and affected by the love of Christ. And it's a theme that pours out of his life. It pours out of his conversation. It pours out of his, his worship leading. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Rob's story reminds me of this lyric from a Bebo Norman song. I want a crumb, but you are a feast. I want a song, but you are a symphony. I want a star, but you are a galaxy. And I have resolved that I'm much better off in what you have for me. Far above, abundantly more than we could even hope to think and ask. God's got dreams for us. God's got uses for us. God values us. 
Here are the three questions I want community group leaders to chew on this week with all the saints. Not quite all the saints, but some of the saints. Number one, are you rallying all the power you can muster or relying on the Spirit's power in your innermost being? Don't try to write that down, by the way. These will be online. Are you, are you rallying all the power you can muster or relying on the Spirit's power that's working in you? Number two, is Christ a stranger needing lodging or is He at home? Is Christ out in the stable or is He in one of your bedrooms? And number three, do you know, do you know with your head, with your heart, with your experience... With all the saints, the love of Jesus Christ. Have you tasted of it? Are you walking in it? Would you say that you're rooted and grounded in it? 